Hi, I'm Cornell. I'm Glenroy. And I'm Kareem. And welcome to the Fish Tea Podcast, where we're here with being heel strutting Jamaican queens talk about LGBTQ politics, pop culture, growing up in the Caribbean, life in the diaspora, and the work it takes to sustain love, life, and laughter in the midst of all the white noise. We're giving you everything, honey. Get into this mug. We're serving you a hot cup of fish tea. Bottoms up. up. Oh my God, we did it. You want to, Trina. I did, I had to count. (laughs) It works. (laughs) Oh gosh. So, we talk about being like the Caribbean and the diaspora in Jamaica and all that, but now everything feels like just one global world since all of us are basically dealing with the same thing at the same time with Mm -hmm. the COVID-19 coronavirus. Um, And so I know that's what we'll be talking about for most most of this episode. However... How have you guys been? How have you been handling it? What have the uh, measures being taken by your respective governments been like? And yeah, what, what's that? I guess I can start because whew, it's, I don't know. America feels not like, I don't know. I feel like we're supposed to be on top of things or we should have been on top of things. And right now it feels like we're trying to play catch up. And so it's alarming. It's scary. It's intimidating for a lot of people. Um, and a lot of people are thinking that there's something else going on as to why this is not being dealt with the way it should be. But I personally, I think it's been effective, affecting my productivity a lot. I have not been doing what I'm supposed to do and I'm finding it harder to settle into some type of schedule or whatever the case may be. Like, whether it's waking up early in the morning and then getting some work done or doing things that I'm supposed to do, like taking meetings and stuff like that. Like people have been sending me multiple emails like, Hey, I'm following up just to make sure that we're still meeting. And I was like, Oh shit. Yes, we are. I'll be on in a minute. So it's, it's definitely been hard and way harder than I anticipated to, to do it. And then to keep up with all the things that are coming at you, like you're, I'm a professor, so I have to make sure that my students are okay. I make sure my class is functioning properly. And at the same time, I'm catering to their fears and uncertainties the best that I know how. Because it's not like I could make a quick phone call or run downstairs and ask somebody who to forward these concerns. So it's, it's, it's definitely, I'm trying to see these as new opportunities. Um, it's definitely challenging, but I'm trying to rise to the occasion. How about y'all? Well, just like really quick question before Glenroy goes. Um, what kind of accommodations is your institution making for like students and such? Well, all of it is still kind of unclear. So like even myself as a PhD student, um, my cohort members and I are trying to figure out, well, what does that mean for us? Because we were in the middle of applying for a fourth year funding and trying to get this dissertation all ongoing. And so we're now we're trying to figure out like what is happening. They've definitely told us about people who are tenure track. Well, they're not students, but professors who are tenure track, but not necessarily so much what happens with the PhD students. And then as it relates to the other students, they've only been telling professors to make sure that their classes can be um, accessible online and they should have some contingency plan, which I'm not quite sure what that looks like. Because if you can't, if I can't get to you online, how else am I going to get to you? Um, One of my friends reached out to me and she was saying that one of her students does not have access to internet. And so because she's depending on the library for internet access, and so now that she's not allowed to be on campus, her data plan on her phone is not strong enough to access the class. So she has had to adapt the class a whole nother way so that she can still get the gist of the class or whatever the material is and do the assignments and so on and so forth. So yeah, it's, I don't, I'm not sure what my university is doing specifically, but I know some companies are offering Wi-Fi right? Like free Wi-Fi for 60 days or something to some students. But beyond that, it's, it's still very hard to figure out, like, what, to gauge needs and to address them accordingly. Okay. How about you, Glenroy? 
Well, so I guess I can start with the government and then work to the extent that they provided an institutional response. So um, Jamaica was very proactive, and which I'm grateful for, in their response to the situation. So we got our first confirmed case of the virus on March 10th. And I think by March 12th, there was like the, the significant efforts to kind of shake up the entire country. And so we're not but 19 confirmed cases. It might be a little bit more now because also our government is essentially doing daily press conferences and daily updates. So we know everything that's happening every step of the way. We know that at least two communities have now been quarantined because of their own tracing of what happened with the first, the first person who came, who was somebody from the UK that came and kind of traveled around because she came for a funeral. So all of that. So we've been apprised of all of that information. Schools are closed for a good two weeks, so I think we've passed one week. Probably is going to be extended. Government workers have scaled down, so who can work from home will work from home, and they've asked private sector to do the same. And so we've seen, like, I mean, there was a mad rush to the supermarket, so everybody was, like, trying to grab as much toiletries and cleaning items as they could. Um, but, you know, and, of course, the lot of, all the parties were... Um, the permits for parties were revoked. No more will be issued for a while. And they've closed down bars and entertainment spaces. You can get food at like food places, but they can't have more than 20 people dining in. And they're asking people as much as possible to uh, eat, um, just do takeout if they're getting food somewhere. So the key word that everybody's trying to kind of wrap their minds around is social distancing. I mean, which is kind of difficult in our own context since we're such a tactile um, people who kind of like to engage our friends and, and, and you, know, you know, in that kind of way. And so that's kind of changed some dynamics a bit. But I think from the institutional, the government has done a good job in informing us, in preparing us, and, and then kind of instructing us on how we can reduce the spread so that we don't end up like some other countries that we'd have thought would have done better at it. And then for me, for work, because my job has always facilitated working from home, we just recognize that we'd, we'd be doing that until the, the outbreak has kind of gone into its decline phase. So we've had to like change up some of our operations, scale, uh, push up certain activities, push back other activities. But yeah, that's just what we've been doing. We've been reorganizing, but it's not been a shock for me to work from home. It's not been a shock for me to kind of reorganize my life. I just want things to, I just want us to kind of not, because we're such a small country and we're a developing country, I just want us to not end up in a space where our healthcare system is overwhelmed because then it becomes an even scarier reality. But apart from that, I'm good. <laughs> I know I said a lot. No, 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 that's great. I mean, I don't know if I had low expectations for the Jamaican government, but I have been thoroughly impressed by the response, by the, um, the PR that's been taking place and the, the general like, dissemination of information. From what I've seen online, though, it looks like or sounds like um, some people are trying to use the situation, um, how do I say, as a basis for like some political um, warfare, for lack of a better word, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, but is it, would you say that it's the case that the general populace is responding favorably to the um, communication on the part of the government? I think they have, because I feel like we've had past, we have previous outbreaks in the past, I never felt like we got enough information, like when Chick V was a thing or malaria. 
so I think we've been so we've been really impressed by this special efforts they made this time around to communicate everything, especially because the knee-jerk response to a new disease is to panic. And so the government recognized that they had to get ahead and put as much information out. So like they did this, so they have a what's that? that they have a drop box with all the relevant information on coronavirus that they've shared with the public. Um, and so and like I said, every day it's a new press conference. Every day you, you get something out and, you, and you're seeing a, like an intersectoral response. So you're seeing what is finance doing, what is agriculture doing, what are, what's foreign affairs doing. Um, all of this information, which is a lot, but you are at least have access to it. So you can see like a full-scale governmental response that I've not seen in other spaces, even like a UK and the US. You haven't seen that kind of a coordination in that kind of way led by a Ministry of Health and wellness, but supported clearly by all the key players and stakeholders. And then also because our, this particular administration is very social media savvy, um, all of their like the popular ministers, they're just sharing those messages as they come. So you, you see the coordination. So it's, it, it's very great to see. Um, and yes, yeah, so some of the things that opposition has been doing has not always been as helpful. But, if, but there are key members within the opposition that recognize that, you know, all of us just are on the same page. So like a Dr. Dayton Campbell, who is a member of parliament on the opposition, he um, released a video to kind of support the government messages and stuff like that. So some of them get it and others are doing what politicians do. Mm-hmm. Okay. On, on my end, the semester has been more or less ended for me. Officially, the university has transitioned to online classes, but my department has come up with a response to take uh, the stress off students and faculty and graduate students. So that's been um, pretty great so far because they recognize that people have other kinds of priorities. Similar to what both of you were saying, there is like a panic rush in terms of the supermarket. So toilet paper is out. I cannot find hand sanitizer or rubbing alcohol anyway, anywhere. I came across this tweet online that was saying how all the meat is gone, but there is still seasoning on the shelf. And that is exactly what I saw <laughs> in the in the supermarket. So uh, that was a little bit funny. The provincial government, I was trying to think if there was an equivalent to that in um, Jamaica, but there isn't. But basically the provincial government recently Local announced... Government. Sorry? Local. Oh, okay, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so they made an announcement recently that... Um, the and first it was you know recommendation or strongly encouraging people not to go outside or not to gather and all of these things but they have officially mandated that non-essential businesses be closed down um, so hopefully that is going to help to mitigate some of the transmission between people let me see what else is happening oh I mean I don't know if this is Okay, this might not be the case as much in Jamaica, but maybe this is happening in the States as well. But people have also been panic buying guns for some reason, which I'm really confused by. Oh my God, yes. Um, Yeah, so that's a whole situation. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so what? What am I panic buying guns for? I mean... It's Americans, you know? And I guess it's not just Americans because it's the Torontoans too. But um, well, Canadians broadly, but I get it. I know why. Well, no, I, I think I know why. But go on. What What are your thoughts? Me, you just want to turn on. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I don't get it. Like, why do you need, like? First of all, it was so funny because I remember having this conversation with some some actual like different like state and local government officials while I was in the U.S. on my own, you know, thingy, the series of meetings things I was doing, 
And some of them have this connection to the need for guns that I can never understand. Why would you be panic buying bullets? We are going to hunt deer? Well, then again. I mean, perhaps. I think part of it, I'm thinking of it more so in terms of colonialism, or settler colonialism in relation to like, this idea of protecting one's property. And if people are scared that civilization is going to break down, they may want the means to protect themselves if all goes to hell. I also think part of it is this kind of like, I don't know if any of you have seen The Purge, but I think it's very much that mentality where it's going to be, you know, every person for themselves. So if they need to, quote unquote, take the law into their own hands, they have the means to do so, um, to not only protect themselves, but also to access resources if they need be. Um, but it's, it's, it's a bit terrifying, actually. Um, it's a little weird. I'm saying like there are so many different conspiracy theories going around that... Um, Similar to what Cornell says, the sentiments here are the same. And the idea was that, well, one of the ideas was that, well, with this whole corona thing and the stock market crashing and all these like different things that are happening simultaneously, what could happen is some redistribution of whatever power or some need, like Cornell said, to protect whatever power you have. And so people are like growing skeptic of people are seeing that race relations might grow even worse after, at the end of this, like just all these things. And so people are like, well, you need to have a gun because this is what's happening. And someone is like, well, I just got my license. Like, what are, what are you doing? Um, I know somebody. And I was like, girl, no, thanks. Not right yeah. now, at least. And I mean, to your point about race relations too, um, people are also, con- I don't know what, what they call it in, in, or I can't remember what they call it in the States or Jamaica, but basically this kind of, you know, state of emergency nationwide lockdown where the government and the police has special powers, that kind of all. Um, there are conversations among Black activist communities in particular where the concern is that if it is that Black people are already being harassed for this being on the street going about their business like what would this look like if the the police are giving you know extra leeway um to make decisions about they um, apprehend people um so i mean there are some fears about i mean we haven't gotten there yet um hopefully it doesn't get there but there are some conversations going on in terms of some of that stuff so in terms of today's topic though we wanted to have a kind of so I think initially when we were talking about, it, we wanted to have this kind of like fun conversation about how our quote-unquote gay lifestyles were um, interrupted um, as a result of this, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. But I'm also, I'm just now thinking, this might also be a kind of productive moment for us to think about what kind of society we want to live in once this is all over. So... On one hand, yes, you know, we can't do gay brunch anymore, but I also think this presents an interesting or potentially generative moment to ask for and demand for better moving forward because one of the, uh, you know, in terms of the conversation that I've seen online and stuff and articles and on Twitter, people were saying that, you know, all of these things like, you know, um, the provision of social services and um, funds to low-income people with disabilities, um, people with families, people with elderly people, um, a lot of the provisions that are being that are being handed out now, albeit um, not necessarily willingly, but it tells us that these things are possible, right? Like, or even the fact that in some industries, people are seeing that uh, you have to be in the workplace, you have to do the whole traditional nine to five thing. We're seeing the 
people are better able to incorporate like flexible working conditions or like the option of working from home. And so I'm also wondering about like the different kinds of ways that we can structure our communities and our societies and our governments that allow for us to better engage one another. So I don't know if you, if either of you have immediate thoughts about that, about that, but that was something I was thinking about. So I guess, yeah, how has, how has life shifted or changed for you over the past? It's really been two weeks even. So, but yeah, what has the shift been like for you? Well, I mean, before I kind of answer the question on what's the shift been like to me, I want to kind of take apart those the, the, the issues that you raised because I want they're really two separate issues. The second one about like workspaces and how they can be made more flexible for people that I'm definitely with because my we my space has always facilitated that you know with the relative with the necessary supervision and levels of accountability when I always get it right but it's always been there and I've always known it was possible so to see that to see that we have now come to a place where we have to do this and so maybe we can revisit it is definitely something that to be quite honest I mean I think that's a good change which in Jamaica but at least some businesses can start to catch on and recognize that somebody working from home doesn't necessarily always mean it's an unpro- it, it, it leads to unproductivity and that working in the workspace doesn't necessarily lead to productivity. So I don't know who will carry the conversation forward though, but I'm glad to see that more of that, that it kind of underscored that reality. The first one though about the provision of like certain services. So for me, it's a, I'm thinking yes, in certain contexts. So I don't know if Jamaica is at a point where like a universal social support system, a universal like social welfare system is possible. But um, I definitely feel like the kind of response that we've seen in terms of, if even just how the government informs informs us on a regular basis about certain key issues, this kind of shows us that we can have a little bit more of that. We might not have this dedicated everyday talking about one topic thing, but that the communications can be strengthened. And they have been strengthening over the years, but that can even be better strengthened, that we can have more direct engagement and information and quick response on certain things. And that like, even like some of the things that have been procured to support our work, like the response, like as I said, the systems can be strengthened to provide that kind of support if needs be. Um, however, I feel like we always have to bear in mind that this is an emergency situation. And so some of what is possible is only possible because it's expected to be short term. And so a long term system of like social welfare takes in a whole host of other variables that I know for Jamaica would not be possible really. But like in yeah. terms of Hmm. The question of how it affected me. I'm not saying my boots, my warm. My medical work, awful. Not, not that much has changed, except for my friendships. Like being, even though I mean, WhatsApp is there, so I'm constantly speaking with my friends and engaging members of my family, for example. But not seeing them is it does have an impact on me. If all you're seeing is like the four corners of your bedroom or the four corners of your home, after a while, you want a kind of human connection and a video chat alone just isn't it. So, I mean, we can then start to talk about that and how critical human interaction is and how this kind of emphasizes. Sometimes when we take human interaction for granted, especially in communities where um, some of us don't have the best relationships with our family. And if, when a lockdown happens, we are forced to stay with that family for this extended period of time and not with, well, that biological family and not with the chosen family that you consider more to be your family. They kind of impact that they may have on you. But for me, it's not that deep because me and my biological family are in a good 
place, but for some members of the community, I can imagine this forces us to be around people that sometimes we don't necessarily are inter- aren't interested about, of about being around for um, this extended period of time. Absolutely. And I have a, a response to the point about human interaction in a second, but I wanted to see if Kareem had any kind of initial thoughts. For sure. I've been thinking about the, um, I'm glad Glenmore brought the LGBTQ community. I've been thinking about them especially because one of my colleagues who is the executive director for an organization that exclusively serves LGBTQ individuals was sharing the other day in a, um, we had a virtual happy hour, yes child, through Zoom. We were sitting there, some of us with our cocktails homemade and some of us with our glass of wine just catching up via Zoom. And I was just so thinking about like the more vulnerable populations, like yes, sure, all of this could have happened. Are you guys hearing me? Mm-hmm. Oh, I feel like I was shipping up. So yeah, sure, a lot of this could that we're seeing now could have happened, especially here in America. Like one of my friends posted, I'll read it momentarily, but she had some really good points in it that I agree with. But I've always been thinking about the more vulnerable populations and how they would get access to some of these things. So for example, even if some businesses can afford to do the work from home things or accommodate work from home situations, how do we ensure that people have access to the necessary things, especially students? I'm thinking about kids right now. I live in Irvington, which is a largely Black neighborhood, but not just that, but people are also under living under the poverty level. So they don't have all these things, have access to Wi-Fi or a good, a smart device to, uh, to accommodate Wi-Fi technologies. And so these two parents who are now being forced, well, not forced, but well, that is why they're being forced to teach their kids, educate their kids from home. I'm thinking about the quality of education that they're getting. So yeah, sure, a lot of these things could happen and a better quality of life and all of that. But I'm just more so thinking about the how of it. And for me, it takes, it's like, especially in a society like America, where we're largely capitalistic, it requires a lot of undoing and unlearning of things that I'm not sure, or at least I'm not that optimistic that we're ready to take on just yet. As it relates to how it's affecting me personally, apart from the productivity issue, which is just me trying to adjust or settle into a new normal or a temporary normal, whatever this is, that part has been difficult for sure. Like Because I've conditioned my mind, I normally get up every day, go straight to the school campus, and I'll work there until like at least five, six o'clock, then I'll come back home. Now that I'm home, all I want to do is nothing work-related. Um, but I'm forcing myself to get through it. And I think once I get over that hump, or once I settle into it, then I should be fine. But then when this all clears up, it I don't know what it's going to look like going back, um, going back to some of, going back to whatever that schedule was. Right. So, I, um, oh, go ahead. Um, so, it's so funny that you talk about that online brunch thing, or no, no, happy hour. So I found right. uh, that Jamaicans have come up with these like very awesome ways of staying connected through this isolation type period that we're going through. So like, we we'll play ABC faster, slow online first. Then we did play on a scavenger hunt. We would run through what else and I take picture and I post it. And my friend is still a drag me about to stay, but I am good with it. We've been doing these things called Big Par Online or Big Online Par. A big Par Online. A big Online Par. Whatever. One other variation there. So it's a live stream that with some, some, some good DJs playing the music. So you're all in your your homes, you listen to the music, you mix your liquor, and then you do your, your live tweeting. And so some people are pretending to be the soup man, some people are pretending to be the jerk man, and we're creating these, experience, these communal experiences as best we can through this isolation. So I'm wondering, one, 
a possibility for us as queer people to do versions of those if and when we can. But of course, to understanding the limitations that everybody has access to um, reliable internet and everybody has certain levels of access. But I think as usual, Jamaicans come up with these creative ways of forging ahead and forging through like the corona situation. Every 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 retail store now, or every little store you're going, I know you have to spray an aloe and I look at some of them and like because somebody spirit them spirit some pama am from you know a restaurant and it's still the pama am so that will probably about it. I'm gonna wash my arm after my comeback. So there's that. But yes, kind of seeing how we've really adapted to this new normal is fascinating to watch. Mm. So I mean, okay, I, I'll start there actually. So Glenroy's point about uh, use of technology. So yes, there is the question of whether or not one has access to it. But I think I actually think queer communities are actually well positioned to make use of technology in order to uh, cultivate community online or to engage each other online. Because so for many of us, that's how we found each other in the in the first place, right? So. I know men who are in their late 30s, 40s who met through, what was it, like the Go Jamaica, some secret chat room or, or something, or how we used to use websites back in the day or the various kinds of technology that, you know, uh, queer people are using now, um, whether or not they are actually out to their families. I think it's a matter of how can we be more intentional about how we use some of those platforms. I did want to respond so really quickly. So you were saying earlier about, you know, social welfare in Jamaica, and I agree that it's probably not viable in terms of like economic resources but I would just say at the very least it opens up a kind of like a glimpse perhaps into some of the stuff that we, we might want to see later down the line and to Karima's point about teaching I know one of the things that has come up for some parents is now they have a better appreciation for the work that teachers do day to day and so this might also be a chance for us to think about, are we providing adequate compensation and resources to teachers, generally speaking? You were also talking earlier and just now about this idea of social distancing. And one of the conversations I've seen online has to do with this idea of reframing that from uh, social distancing and saying specifically physical distancing. And instead, yeah, using the word like physical distancing and recognizing that social connection is super important right now, because I mean, and part of that conversation is tied up in, in, into um, the important for social connection for people who might be dealing with particular kinds of like mental illnesses, for example. But the, the point I wanted to talk about initially with your initial point about human interaction was, so I'm a part of a couple of volleyball leagues. And so one of which is, is a queer league. And I was saying to one of my team members, and this was around the period where um, organizations were sending out um, emails about, you know, not touching and doing the elbow thing or just like waving to each other instead of doing the high five and all of these things. For the quote, for, for lack of a bit, let's go with, okay, so let's call one the straight league. Everyone was very, you know, quick to follow instructions. So no one was touching each other. People were keeping away from each other. But I found within the queer league, people were still very, you know, intentional or committed to this idea of like high fives and hugs. And I was like, okay, it's not the case that people aren't informed or are just being careless. But I was saying to her, in my mind, there seems to be, uh, uh, in, as is in my, yeah, yeah, in my mind, a greater investment perhaps, or a need for um, contact or um, intimacy within queer communities, what we might not be able to access in other contexts. 
perhaps. And I was actually really confused at the first because a lot of the, not a lot, but some of the, 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 the queer men that I've spoken to seemed to be very unbothered. And sure, on one case, it might, this might be the case that um, people were just like downplaying it, generally speaking. But it also seemed to me that there's a sense that uh, the queer community or perhaps queer men in particular, there's a sense that, well, we as a community have endured worse than this. And so we aren't going to have the state's tell us that we can't touch each other kind of thing. And so I'm wondering, yeah, go ahead. But yeah, what is the helping on the head? Why? <laughs> is it that one we are more committed to hugging because of all whatever experiences that makes those kind of affirming hugs matter to us more? Because I think we're a little bit more huggy in our community, as queer men in particular. And then two, Mafra asked, can we see one picture So I mean, it's not it. But were they white? The person um, saying wait, wait, saying what specifically? That last bit about we've been through worse. I mean it's it's come up in, in some conversations with white men, yes. The reason why I ask, because personally I find that and it's and, and this is my kind of assessment of why the outbreak has ravaged Europe and still um, has not taken root in Africa and, and that even in like in the Caribbean we're having a better response to it. I think and I'm gonna frame this as best as possible, the global north com- the global North cultures are a bit more individualistic and global South cultures are a bit more communal in their understanding. And so a response like that, in my mind, it kind of ignores the larger collective responsibility of why we're doing this kind of physical distancing. Even if we acknowledge that within our own context of community, our intersectional context as queer men touch matters a little bit more because of our experiences, we also have to recognize that we all have parents and interact with certain people who are a bit more at risk. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like that understanding I've noticed more in Global South communities. And mm-hmm. that's why I say that. Okay, so I, I, I agree with you in terms of the point about um, you know, people being individualistic. I also want to acknowledge, though, that a lot of these people also have colleagues, friends, loved ones who are like, living with like, HIV, for example, and are, would be likely part of the people who would be under the, the category of immunocompromised. One of the things that was said to me, um, I had an appointment for something, and he was like, well, we ought to take all of these kinds of precautions anyway as people who regularly work with people who for example have HIV and so um, what kind of precautions I feel like them different sorry what kind of precautions would those be because I feel like those are different okay so I he was saying his point was about like um, sanitation and washing hands um, and I mean I, I don't want to suggest either that the, those conflate those two because I think they're they're separate things but one of the things I've been thinking about separately even is and I, I don't know if you would categorize this within the context of being individualistic um, but and, and this is partly connected to some of the stuff I've been looking at for my dissertation research was what does it mean for queer men or queer folk broadly perhaps to choose this idea of risk as opposed to the quote-unquote save app option out of this um, idea perhaps that intimacy is worth more than getting ill and I mean that can be complicated and messed up for like other reasons but I'm curious or interested in like why people make some of those decisions outside of being purely individualistic 
but I mean, yeah, those are just kind of some like initial thoughts. But yeah, I mean, to answer your other question, do I do think that, you know, maybe queer folks are a bit more, you know, huggy huggy or, you know, touchy touchy. I do think their individualism is a way and an approach. So even if all of those other things are considered that you're, that you're rightfully mentioning, I feel like it boils down to the kind of how we prioritize things, as you rightly said, because there's a kind of risk that comes with STIs, for example, and HIV. And then there's a kind of risk that comes with a, a highly contagious disease that um, will not necessarily affect one set of people in a certain kind of way, but will affect another set in a much more fatal kind of way. So I guess I'm kind of thinking through, if, if we're talking about just, yes, we do have different approaches to risks, but I feel like, to me, in this particular instance, and it may just be my own anxieties about um, this particular outbreak, but I feel like then I've noticed this nonchalance. And, and to be fair, I, I've also noticed this nonchalance among some of our members in Jamaica. So it's not just a white person issue or a global North issue, um, even though I do find that kind of individualism framed more there. And I kind of do recognize that queer culture has, is largely shaped around that kind of white individualism. And so when I think about here and in our own context, I do find that in our community a little bit a bit more, but some people at least are pushing back and are saying, well, you know, we can hold off on the hookups, we can hold off on the, the orgies and whatever. And so for me, even if we think about creating spaces for queer communities, I'm not saying I might all of my use of space them for those, it's for work. Because mm-hmm. largely, a lot of those online curated spaces are mostly for sex and hookups. Some people use it for friendships and communities, but a lot, in a lot of ways, the people who are going to use those spaces, use online spaces as a recluse to engage community, are generally, I think in my mind, then generally have space already to engage. So they're just moving from the physical to the online. I think a lot of other people use queer specific spaces generally for the purpose of finding a sexual partner. So, I mean, okay, so Kareem, like how are these things showing up um, where you're at? Like are people using uh, technology in creative ways or are you finding similar levels of indifference or nonchalance among uh, queer responses to COVID-19? Well, I can't really... um comment too much on the queer experience except for what i've seen on like social media and people are still gathering um mostly like their personal spaces and not necessarily but trying to stay below the minimum so i guess it was what i think for now it's what 10 between 10 and 20 people here and so we were literally in in the entire state like as in for 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 gatherings it can't be more than 10 or 20 people and so people are literally having covid kickbacks and covid um get together is literally that's the name of it and they gather together in their homes and these are queer people um that i see doing it on my social media but damn i just left my my, my thought i was going to respond to something that you said was it the thing about um intimacy or indifference or anything? oh no so as it relates to people's general response queer or not to this thing i think because the fear mongering is so strong that people are literally they're not touching each other they're not um interacting with each other the streets are literally empty even when you go into supermarkets um with with the exception of the first few days it hasn't been as packed and i've been to the supermarket up to yesterday and it's been empty and i was like oh people are really scared of this thing there was a third question that you raised oh i totally forgot what that question was (laughs) What I really wanted to respond to. But talk about my girl, I love her still. But no. <laughs> yeah. 
But I mean, to, to Glenroy's earlier point, though, I do think there's something to this idea of what cruising or hooking up looks like in the time of COVID-19. Like, what, what is someone to do? Do you, do you stay at home by yourself? Like, or like, is, is Grindr on like pause right now for people? Oh, God, no. <laughs> Uh, the girl, no, the girls are out. The girls, no, the girls are still out. The girls are still out. Let me fear. Me now just say I want to hook up young one, right? As long as you you, you wipe it down before you put it in your mouth. <laughs> but I guess I, I'm just worried about because I remember when the when, when the kind of measures were being developed and schools were being closed. Like one of the initial responses, I think, well, okay, we're free now. We can go. I can go and try and get as much as I want. I was like, but girl. We're supposed to have social distance out there, what you mean? Like, yeah, kind of like your one-one and your two-two where you can because at the end of the day, the whole point is to reduce risk and reduce contact. So where less of us are gathered, we're reducing our likelihood of transmission. So that doesn't mean that we're not going to talk to nobody, period. I just, in some people, in some members of the community, local and international, I haven't gotten that sense for all of them that, you know, oh, you know, and we'll make it through this. So, like, those kinds of concerns kind of set, up, set off an alarm in my head, which is separate and apart from a 1-1 one, one and a 2-2. Two, two. But then, challenges, because a lot of us out here be single, when you are 1-1 one, one and 2-2, two, two, and I'm with the same person, so... Okay. And, yeah, so I remember now. So, yeah, as it relates to creatively using the internet or for... for um creating some type of social gathering or whatever. Again, we're kind of slow to it. So I did like the one happy hour, sure. But it wasn't, and people have been figuring out, like some DJs have been going online and, you know, playing like through Instagram Live or something. Again, it's an accessibility issue. Not everybody has the privilege of being a part of these things. But I don't know if you guys heard about some DJ D-Nice mm-hmm. who Saturday through an Instagram Live party with, with would had like over a hundred thousand um people all at once and he was literally begging like mark even mark zuckerberg was on he was like hey mark zuckerberg don't cut off the party because you know the copyright issues as it relates to that and um some celebrities had joined in and so on and so forth but we're still like very much slow so when when i was talking about using zoom to do things like um abc fast or slow or do scavenger hunts and so on and so forth i was like damn i have not heard anybody say that they put the internet to use like that and even me i was just like shit no matter what i'm friend but I remember also playing ABC Fast Hour Slow. I asked Gary for invite me to the next one because yeah, sure, jump on funny. That was a um, shit in high school. So <laughs> I know, like I was like, shit, but people jump on funny. And even though my friend um, was trying to organize somewhat of like a brunch in your house. First of all, by the way, I've seen an ad where somebody really advertising like is that an app or something where you could brunch with different people from around the world, um, but you have to pay for that one. Erica Badu just, um, I think over the weekend did her one dollar bedroom concert where you could watch her and request songs and she'll perform them from her bedroom for a dollar. Um, so people are just now like getting creative with that aspect of it. Um, but as it really, but more so for to keep the coins coming in and not necessarily for just the social aspect of it all. Mm-hmm. At least from what I've seen and what I've been exposed to. I don't know if there's some other efforts going on that I'm just not privy to. Okay, so I, I do want to us to think a bit more about long-term effects in terms of particularly how our summers or like basically summer is cancelled and I want us to think about like what that looks like in terms of um, not only being able to connect with people but like for events like um, Pride for example but before we get there I wanted to ask a question about so Nanya was just talking about this idea of reduce Pride you know we're still across the finger well 
Okay, so but I didn't want to ask really quickly. So you were saying um, a few minutes ago about this idea of reducing risk and reducing transmission. Um, and again, I want to make it very clear that I'm not saying that these these are equivalent cases. But I know that, or what I've, I've seen comments online where people are making comparisons between um, COVID and, um, and people getting HIV and this idea. And then the implicit suggestion that, like, why is it only now that people are taking um, certain kinds of steps and that the case, and this is a suggestion that people who expose themselves or get infected with HIV are somehow careless. Um, what would you say to people who are like making those kinds of arguments as someone who works in your field? Ask the question again. So why, so homeless are the people who say what? <laughs> so basically there, there's, this, okay. So the, the idea is generally that if people are able to put in these measures to prevent or to mitigate the spread of COVID-19, um, then they're, make, they're trying to make this argument that people, particularly queer folk, queer men, who weren't taking these steps before are somehow careless for exposing themselves to HIV. I mean, so, I mean, I guess it's just a general inapplicability of the two, because I feel like with COVID-19, we're all operating under the presumption that it will, it, um, the outbreak won't last as long as it will, and that for a lot of us, statistically, most of us will not have certain severe reactions. The, and so it makes it fundamentally distinct from how we even manage and respond to HIV. Because even the kinds of stigmas associated with HIV aren't associated with COVID-19. And so remember, HIV comes out of a context of like grids and all of that. And right. So I feel like it makes it kind of fundamentally different. And then because also how you the transmission of um, HIV versus COVID, COVID, you can't I mean, any context. The, the kind of secrecy and intimacy and privacy that surrounds HIV itself complicates it. And so even the very language that has always been used in prevention messages generally doesn't resonate with queer people. So yes, you can say, wash your hands. Well, generally there is no kind of a, a program around washing your hands. But when people talk about the ways in which you have sex, it becomes a bit more nuanced because you're getting into the kinds of conversations that we generally don't talk about. We generally don't talk about taking it up the butt and the ways in which you like taking it up the butt. And so it, it, I, what I'm saying is that it's way more complicated than that. And I think it's hard for me to respond to somebody like that. I say, oh, so since I run from the COVID, why not run from HIV and something like that? But, but no, mm-hmm. it's different. Because running from this is doing something as simple as washing my hand and, and, and sneezing a certain way. Running from HIV becomes a complex understanding of how our relationships work, how our communities work, how we find love, how we're able to access care, how we're able to have tailored information that teaches us how to do things that in ways to reduce our risk and the ways in which we do things are stigmatized. So yeah. Okay, that's brilliant. Thank you. Um, I mean, go on. Just to piggyback off Glenn where you know, it's hard to... to kind of compare or even complete the two my because i've seen those memes where people are where, where people post stuff like you guys are quick to use your hand and use hand sanitizer but won't wear a condom to protect you from hiv and blah 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 and i was just like wow okay but also we have to be honest one at some point in the heterosexual context condom after stop use can be a bad two the difference is you can't get 
the pleasure that for a lot of people, condoms are pleasurable. And so for even a lot of people, they work their way out of the necessity of condoms because they're generally not considered pleasurable. So the conversation completely different. People right. want pleasure, people want touch, people want to come up in them and all of them something. And so when you have the conversation without even acknowledging that these are things that people can legitimately want, then you know, they talk to me, because suppose me want it, you know what I mean? Where you gotta tell me about my risk mitigation? If you don't think that's a valid thing to want, then there you go. <laughs> I was just thinking though, um, so yes, you've pointed out some of the key differences, but in terms of stigma, you know, we, we, we have the US president calling it the, the Chinese flu, which does a particular kind of discursive work, but there are also reports coming out of Jamaica saying that people are thrown out of, what was it, a bus or a taxi for sneezing or something. And so on one hand, that's kind of funny, but on, on the other hand, it's kind of, if depending on how this thing um, manifests over the next few months, this might have um, broader implications about how we manage contact with people um, generally speaking, because I know even for the Asian community here, there's been a lot of, you know, racist language being hurled towards them over the past few over the past few weeks. And Chinatown here has been basically shut down for since before um, the government started to intervene because people didn't want to go there anymore. So just a, just a couple of thoughts. Okay, for real though, what what's going on for summer? Because um, I mean, okay, and just to be clear, for, for the listeners, um, this part might come across as being a bit facetious, but we're just trying to make things a little bit lighter. So gay brunch in the summer, gay concerts. Girl, I'm in the bathtub and swim in the two time. I'll take a bumpy jump with the bath snapchat. Over to you. It is not the same because most times when I get dressed up, I, I mean... I don't really always do it for me. I do it so other people could see. And I feel like that's my like public service good. And so if people can't see these outfits that I've already curated. Well, girl, put on the outfit I walk around the house. Take the picture. Shoot them there, you're used to it. So now I'm going to find or I'm going to do this. No, you're going to post it, girl. Increase the social media presence. I'll have a photo shoot them. I'll have to just reconsider. One class, play a place and take your picture of them. I make one friend edit it down. So I just find this denim sequin shirts. I'm going to do the clean in the basement. I just find this denim sequin shirts. I'm going to wear this button up crop top. I'm going to blouse and skirt. All the outfits here. I'm going to wear to brunch Chicago for the girls. Them. It's a lot. Rest in peace to those outfits. So they say, can't wear them again. Because it's not the same. It's not the same. I want to hear 20 compliments in a span of less than an hour. But just want to Listen to me. And let us be real, because we're all out of the talk. I mean, feel it the most. Carnival get pushed back. I'm really <laughs> open October. Right? So I'm like, I can't wait my feather them till October. So I'm going to get it on my understand. But you have to make a way out of nowhere. No, girl, but you can wear your feather in October. Come October, we can wear our outfit. Them. Our summer no, outfit them. true. Come on, spring, let's go. We have to go bungle up again. So I said, Jesus, please. You want to summer just no, we're just in winter, right? Yeah. We're coming down out of winter. Coming down out of winter. It's supposed to be spring where you could shed one of the thick layers and wear something cute. The cute layers, right? You could still start, you know, rolling some stuff up. Maybe it's a cape. Maybe it's a throw. It, it doesn't matter. A poncho, maybe. But then summer is where you act you act out you get crazy and then now like because every day the, the numbers keep adding up i think now we're up to 10 to 12 weeks of social distancing or something like that which brings us almost to the end of summer right the end of august when you're getting ready for the temperature to start dipping again 
So by the time me get for come back out the door, good, good, I win tagged. This ten weeks you not bring it to the end of summer. I'm so wicked, <laughs> girl. I'm I mean, for for Canada, yes, because we really only get like a month. Oh, I'm, I was saying we got fired. Like a good PM said when they asked about the people, we can come back to Jamaica. Our prayers are with you. <laughs> So at least when October come, you can still go dance and jump up in the air feather. And I feel said Jesus must go away in one body suit and then put the feather on top of it. No. Could you imagine? <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, I, I, don't, I actually don't know how this is going to play out. I know a couple of people have already pulled out in terms of events that they were supposed to perform at. Uh, Lady Gaga is supposed to be coming in the summer. Is it in summer? No, online. Or is it later? I think it's the summer. Whenever she's supposed to be coming into Toronto, I have tickets and she might not be able to perform. I know that um, a number of drag queens are basically out of work. Um, so... Oh, yeah, kind of no club. Yeah, and I mean, actually speaking of clubs, so... Um, I mean, at least within Toronto, there is one uh, gay club that's potentially at risk of being sold. And I don't think this is the situation is helping either because, I mean, what are you going to do in terms of profit? So actually, I think queer spaces, um, queer artists, queer content producers, queer creators, generally speaking, are um, that entire industry is at risk um, right now. And I don't know if they're going to be getting the same kinds of support. And I was very much looking forward to having Gay Branch because that's my ish. Oh. Yeah. And I was going to actually, like, I was, because I've been sitting on the idea for a long time. I was going to try and host my very first, like, queer brunch where, like, my friend and my husband would cater and it would be, like, a little fundraiser for the LGBTQ organizations in the area. But all of that is kind of like, um, it stays in the notebook for now until... Explain it to me. Huh? Explain, some, explain this to me, because I try to understand all the brunch different from any little get-together. Like, so all it different, because I feel like how, how the foreign gays talk about the brunch different from probably where we do, or we'll come, or we'll go somewhere, or somewhere. I mean, it would be like a catered meal, let's sit down in a breezy way, and enjoy a little breakfast food but and that's uh, something else because it's not like something else so brunch brunch is the same anyway it's just that the gays have taken over brunch and so it's like it's right, like an occasion it's like an right, event it's an occasion you get dressed up you go to the place you carry on you kiki you just but you just I, be and it's I, just I would also add, though, that one of the things that they have in the North American context, and I'm guessing like other, probably Europe or whatever, is that they have what they call a drag brunch, which also includes performances right. by drag queens. Right. Uh, sometimes that includes bottomless drinks and, you know, um, the gays and the straight women um, living their best life while they are plastered. So it's a fun time. So here we are do now. Okay, you know, maybe there for the solution then. <laughs> from the out of the food from the same place, make it deliver to everybody around the same time as best as possible. And if 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 a girl get her order later, they just you know, wait the client and stuck back in the microwave. And do the Skype call or the Zoom call. I want to kiki there, so but no another another best something and the vibe another same. But that way you have to just do it after though. You know, you said the restaurant, them like, oh, I don't know if they got open yet. When they got open. Oh, oh. So, or so if they'll still be in business by that point, because. Right. Like, that's that's another thing, too, because being closed for so long is. Yeah. 
I mean, the economy is going to be get hit. In, like, I know, especially entertainment, because even tourism, we're bracing for that in Jamaica. Uh, it's gonna be a, uh, it's gonna be something we're gonna have to all like deal with. And you're right, like queer businesses, especially because they're so niche and kind of depend on that regularity. Um, you're right. We might, we might be seeing the loss of some spaces. Well, so one of, I, and I mean, okay, so part of the problem that I've had is I've been reading way too many articles. But um, they've been talking about the airline industry and like they were saying that some of the smaller airlines might not survive um, this right now. And so, I could see um, and I mean, thinking about like how important like travel is to so many industries, like what does that look like after all this is done? Actually, I'm low key, key and this is just me being, I don't know, me being something, but like, um, so Kareem and I had to cancel our trips to Jamaica, obviously. But in my case, they were only willing to offer travel credits. And I'm a little bit like concerned. Like, I'm like, if y'all go out of business though, like, will I still get my money back or does I like, go double trade? Because I need to know. I need to know. Um, so real, real question. Um, but I mean, yeah. So what do we do? What to do? Grandma, I forgot what was Fish Deep Friday's live somehow. Maybe that's a good thing to do right now i don't know well, how that answer other businesses going out of business <laughs> but, but it's the truth though um and i guess this is something we can all think about is that particularly for queer spaces if not for the for the traveling part is that in the different spaces we are we've always lived on the margins mm. and i think because of that marginality we've had to be creative in space creation and to the extent that we've always had to find ways to be this creative i think this presents a new challenge for us, but I don't think it's necessarily an insurmountable one. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that it's one that will stay forever. And I think there will be recovery. And so how can, I guess the question is, how can queer businesses create an experience so that if even they're not, they won't be able to, they're barely able to be able to scrape it through, to scrape through for this period when they do get back, that they'll have this massive um, following that will at least bring in all that they missed. So how do they keep connected and how do they um, keep community? Because we've had to, co- we, we've never been this, had all of these structures and, 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 and in, in definitely in my own space, we don't have clubs um, specific for the community, a party. So I guess it, it, it's kind of a, okay, keep one party. You have to go push back your party and something like that. You have to keep a look at, see what else you can keep. Keep a small 10-person line always to keep the word out there. So the question is, if without the physical, how do we find those ways? And I think mm-hmm. given our experience of marginality, we're the best people place to find those ways. You know what? Big up yourself on that question because that was actually really beautiful. And that might actually be a really productive place to end the conversation as well. If I might broaden it just a tiny bit like maybe we can just like think about ways because i think you're right queer communities and i would add you know black communities do have a kind of legacy of enduring or overcoming or being able to you know move through um or move past difficulty and struggle and so maybe we can also think more generally about what might be some strategies that we can employ to i don't know either develop new ways of relating to each other or like ways for us to get through this together um and i'm offering that more so because i'm not necessarily a business-minded person but i think the 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 point about 
um, connection and community is something I can relate to. For sure. I think one thing that I've been thinking about, not to really open up the conversation again, but it's just how can we as people who have vested interest in some of these spaces and some of these businesses and whatever these industries are that might be struggling. At the end of this, what would it look like if we pull together resources to create something either totally new or something to recover what we once had or something that would leave us less vulnerable should something like this happen again? And I haven't quite figured out the how of it yet, but I don't know. I'm trying. I'm just trying to keep keen, trying to stay keen and um, look for the opportunities amidst all of this because I'm just expecting things to crumble a little bit, but what can we rebuild from it is what I'm trying to trying to to to, to look into and have conversations with other people around. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday, and um, her situation is particularly acute because she's been out of work for a while. And I was saying, you know, um, so I mean, apart from the stuff, so I mean, I was saying, you know, like right now we're still in a position, you know, where housing is taken care of, like we're still able to find groceries and stuff. But I think there's also something really nice about being able to uh, like slow down and having the time and room to, and I mean, yes, that can be anxiety inducing and stressful and unproductive for other reasons. But I also think it's really nice to like not have anything immediate to do besides being with yourself. Um, And I think this moment also offers a chance for us to rethink our, uh, priorities or like perhaps what's important so I think some people might be like oh you know they're trying to make money in all these things and you know particular definitions of success and this pandemic reveals to us that like in some ways the whole idea of success through jobs is a lie because like thousands of people are laid off right now and they have to sit their asses at home whereas a few months ago they might have been you know acting up in in a certain kind of way Um, and I I mean I, I think more generally this is also um, forcing us to rethink who is considered important or essential in terms of our workforce. But yeah, I think having time and space to slow down and rethink what's important to us. Because, so for example, you know, even with some of the stuff that's been, that's been going on with um, my parents and stuff, um, the conversations that we've had more recently are about like, hey, are you okay? Are you keeping safe? And so I think there's a way that you can be like, okay our life and our health is more important than some of the other mess that might get in the way of us being able to have a relationship. And so I think that is also important. And this time at all can also be used to, I mean, and and not to say that we shouldn't make time for people generally speaking, but I've been going out for walks every day and having wonderful, lovely conversations with um, friends that I even haven't caught, you know, like talked to in a while um, or haven't like e- either like, you know, months or like weeks or whatever, but it's just like, just like time to be like, well, both of us have time now because none of us are working. Um, and so that's been really great as well. But in terms of the, the economic stuff, in terms of businesses, there will be a demand. And so as certain people are able to like um, get through the weather of this, there will be a demand or a craving for um, queer spaces, queer content. I I also think we can use this moment to think creatively about how to connect with other kinds of people, um, right? So typically we might assume that distance might be a barrier, whereas using technology now might be helping us to break down some of that stuff. Um, so people might be finding ways to repurpose technology or platforms to connect with a broader audience or with people within their networks that they might not have prioritized otherwise. And so I think that is also something to be happy about. Yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. Um, I don't know. I don't know if we want to close with one word of, one word, one piece of advice, a moment of encouragement for people. Um, but I would just offer, and I've been telling everybody who 
who have I have this kind of conversation with is just to look for the lessons, observe them, make sure you make note of them so that when you get on the other side of this, you come out better, even though it feels and I'm kind of ministering to myself as I say all of that, right? Is to just look for the lessons because I think there are a lot of lessons to be learned here. And I think um, so far, most important to me is the idea of just love and how you've been extending love, not just to those around me, but the kind of compassion that I need to have to be a better human being to people. Um, that's one lesson that has been very evident to me so far. And I'm also looking for the other moments um, or teachable moments that arise from out of this. So that's one thing I would share with anybody who's listening, just to look for those and find a moment to practice gratitude. Mm-hmm. Ooh. That part is even despite the fact that I'm here, like, oh, my productivity is, um, you know, not as strong as it used to be, and blah, 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 yada, yada. I'm grateful for that corner, so like the moments that I have with myself, the moments that I have with my family, the things that I'm learning about them now that I'm here are not like out of the house um, for more hours than I am here. And so, you know, learn, look for the lessons, find moments of gratitude, and just try to find opportunities out of the challenges. Like, I love that Glenn where I was able to come up with all these solutions for everything. I was like, oh, I can't mm-hmm. do this. And it's like, look, here's the solution, Queen. See, it's here. <laughs> so like, that's another thing that I'm working on as well. Like, okay, I see challenges, but there are also, there are also opportunities to create some type of solutions. Whether or not you think they're one, like, brilliantly thought out or there's something like, that's another opportunity for collaboration. So yeah, I, I share those points. So, so far, those are what have been sticking out to me. How about you, Glenn, really? Oh, my God, yes, I'm at CERN. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so one thing I feel like no kind of underscores at least the people who really matter to us to the extent mm. that we'll be holding on now. We're going to be reaching and holding on now more so to those people in our communities. Um, whether it's friends we haven't spoken to for years or months, but then people are oh, going to reach out to. So yeah keep those networks and remember those networks even after COVID-19 because you don't know what might happen next because 2020 I deal with a battle up. so keep those people because those people that make up your circle especially in this community are who, gonna, who are going to help you push through and navigate this space if I never for some other WhatsApp conversation them I look at carelessness I don't <laughs> Each other. Oh, for, for no reason. I them something that I keep it true. So, guard your friends and 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 don't just wait until now to do it. Right. So that's my- absolutely. And I would just add really quickly that you know one of the I, don't, I I think the queer community and the black community have have this quality in in different ways, but uh, there's a way that people are able to make or find joy in in these moments or like make fun of things. Because I mean, some of the the tweets and the memes and the jokes that I've been coming out of this are, are like really funny. <laughs> and I mean, it's a serious situation and people are obviously um, severely impacted, but um, it's about finding those moments to, to give us space to exhale, which is really important. So, yeah. Oh my God. Okay. So this was a really wonderful conversation. This was, this didn't go the, down the, the road that I expected it to, but I'm really <laughs> grateful for the road or the direction that we did take so to our listeners thank you again for joining us um if you have any thoughts comments suggestions feedback whatsoever please reach out to us at fishd podcast on twitter facebook and instagram and at fishd podcast at gmail.com 
um, we're always grateful to hear what you have to say and what you've been thinking, how you've been responding to the episodes and such. And stay inside, wash your hands, um, sanitize all the things. If you are even able to access alcohol, um, stay self, stay well, stay safe, be well, and we'll see <laughs> you soon. Right. Right. Stay safe and stay sophisticated. Something like that. Yeah, and shout out, to, shout out to the artist among us, because Lord knows when Makambada, I turn to the stuff that you create so that I can make it through the days. So all the people who create videos, songs, all those things, shout out to the artists who don't really get their props in a, on a regular day. All right. Snap, snap. <laughs> Bye. Bye.